0: Praise Thee, Lord, for Thy, great plan, that we thy
1: place may be. Welcome to Life Study of the Bible, brought to you by Living Stream Ministry. These programs are based on the ministry of Witness Lee and his 21-year crowning work, The Life Study of the Bible The book of Colossians is a book that gives us the highest vision and revelation of Christ. It's a book unveiling Christ. The full revelation of Christ comes in chapter 3, verses 10 and 11, which reveal the heart's desire of God, the new man, a corporate entity, composed of Christ as the head and the members as his body, with all their cultural and ethnic differences blended away, so that, joined with the head, they become his full and unique expression." Well, we would consider that such a book would have a lofty and profound conclusion to match its rich content, but rather it concludes with various greetings and short reports concerning different brothers in Christ familiar to the Colossians. It is tender, but it seems to lack the impact and spirit to make it a fitting conclusion. Was this Paul's random thought or God's marvelous wisdom? Bob Dankers back with us today as we explore this question. Bob, welcome to the program.
2: Chris, it's always good to be with you in the broadcast. This book of Colossians certainly has a high and lofty revelation of Christ. And then in chapter 3, as we've seen, it reaches what we would consider a very high peak. And that is the new man, right? Which is just Christ living in all his believers as the members of the new man. And at the end of the book, Paul, as you mentioned, just concludes the book seemingly on a lower level. Not on such a high and lofty level, but actually, as we will see, Paul's conclusion really is an expression of God's wisdom.
1: Bob, I want to come to these verses at the conclusion. We've seen that more than any other book, Colossians conveys this marvelous Christ to us in such a high way, such a profound way, and with language and utterance that's not found anywhere else in Scripture. We've seen so many phrases and expressions that Paul used in this book Then, as you said, we come to the conclusion, and I'm going to read it here, but I uh, encourage the listeners, even though it seems a bit repetitious and low uh, and just common and uh, tender in its thought, really try to focus on what Paul was really saying as he presented these uh, greetings at the end. Let's take a look at these verses, Bob, at the end of chapter 4. All right, beginning at verse 7, it says, All the things concerning me, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow slave in the Lord, will make known to you whom I have sent to you for this very thing, that you might know the things concerning us, and that he might comfort your hearts. With Onesimus, the faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will make known to you all the things here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, as well as Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you received commandments, if he comes to you, receive him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these alone of the circumcision, are my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, ones who have become a consolation to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a slave of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I testify of him that he labors much for you and for those in Laodicea and for those in Heropolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you as well as Demas. Greet the brothers in Laodicea, as well as Nymphus, and the church which is in his house. And when this letter is read among you, cause that it be read in the church of the Laodiceans also, and that you also read the one from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, Take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord, that you fulfill it. The greeting in my own hand, Paul. Remember my bonds. Grace be with you. Bob, what do you make of uh, such a salutation at the end of this book?
2: Well, Chris, as you read through this, you cannot help but observe that there are many names mentioned here. I was counting as you were reading, and I counted the names of at least ten persons, as Paul mentioned here. And as you look at all these names, and if you are familiar with other places in the New Testament where these names are mentioned, you realize that Paul here was enumerating one brother after another, and the different brothers had different nationalities and different statuses and social positions and so forth. So Paul's intention here, as we're going to see uh, when we hear what Witness Lee has to say, was to give us an illustration of the practical living of the new man. It's very striking. All these names, when you dig into it, you get below the surface, then you can see what Paul's real intention was. I'm anxious to
1: get to this, uh, let's join Witness Lee Bob.
0: At the end of such a short epistle, the apostle put in such a long portion for greetings. Originally, I surely didn't agree with this. I feel all the lines should be for the uh, all-inclusive Christ. Paul should save the lines for more and further revelation concerning the all-inclusive Christ. If what has been talked about in the present chapters is just low things, bad things, not so high, not so weighty, I would say it's okay. That's a kind of a fellowship in writing. But you consider how lofty and how weighty all those points concerning Christ in those two, even coach of three chapters. Then, at the end, eleven verses were written by him in this way, concerning this, concerning that. Why, Paul put all these verses concerning this one, concerning that one. Why have you seen the importance? You can see, Paul applied the new man practically at his time. These 11 verses just again open a window for us to see through. You could see a practical new man living there. You know in the new man there cannot be Greeks, Jews, Circumcision, uncircumcision, and season, barbarian, slave, freeman. If you would spend time just in these 11 verses, you could find the Greeks, you could find the Jews, you could find the circumcision, you could find the uncircumcision, you could find the slave, you could find the freeman. You could see How I do believe within him there was a purpose to put out such an illustration of the living of the new man. Hallelujah.
1: Bob, I think this is a Remarkable insight to what seem to be very simple verses in Colossians. It appears to be this elongated greeting with reference to a number of saints that the believers in Colossi would have been acquainted with, familiar with. And yet, as we pointed out at the beginning of the program, though the sentiment is nice, it just doesn't seem to fit with the rest of the epistle. But it is actually Paul's demonstration of the new man that he carefully presented in chapter 3 as somewhat the high point of the entire book. If we go back to Paul's word on the new man, Bob, and what it really represents, and then connect that to this point, how do we see the new man demonstrated here?
2: Well, as you recall, Chris, in chapter 3, Paul does reach a high point in this book with the revelation of the new man. In this chapter, he is giving different admonitions to the Colossians, telling them to put away all the negative things in their flesh their lustful flesh, and then he says that they should put away all the psychological evils in their soul. And then eventually, when he gets to verse 9, he tells them to put off the old man, to put off the entire old man, and put on the new man. So here Paul mentions the new man, and in mentioning the new man, he says specifically that in the new man, there cannot be... There's no room for, no possibility in the new man to have Greeks and Jews, circumcision and uncircumcision, barbarians, Scythians, slaves, and free men. All kind of different distinctions between human beings, the distinction between the races, the distinction between religious and non-religious, that's circumcision, uncircumcision, the distinction between social, cultural, rank, and so forth. You know, it's all there. And these things, Paul says, cannot exist in the new man. And the reason for that is that in the new man, Christ is all and in all. So there are no Jews, Greeks, slaves, free, uncircumcised, circumcised, and so forth in the new man. In the new man, there is only Christ. Christ is all the members of the new man, and he is in all the members of the new man. So in the new man... What you have is a putting off of all these distinctions and a oneness among people who are in their natural status, they're all different. But in Christ, they have become one entity, one new man. And that entity is just the enlargement or the expansion of Christ himself. So here in the last portion of this epistle, Paul gives us a list of names, greetings, uh, references to different brothers. And by looking at these names, you can see that among them there were Greeks, among them there were Jews. And Paul even mentions the circumcision. He says certain ones of the circumcision were the only ones who were one with him in his ministry. And he mentioned a slave, Onesimus. He mentioned a physician, Luke, who no doubt had a high standing in society as a doctor, as a physician. And, you know, you see all these different people. And then he mentions two churches. One is Colossae, one is Laodicea. And he says, the epistle that I wrote to Colossae, you should have it read in Laodicea. And the one I wrote to Laodicea, you should have it read in Colossae. So eventually, everybody is blended together, you know. There are no distinctions. You just cannot see the distinctions. Although in the natural realm, there are distinctions. But these Brothers whom Paul mentions have been delivered out of that realm, and they are now living in another realm, the realm of the new man where Christ is all and in all. He is everything in the new man, and this is a marvelous reality which we should be able to experience on this earth and which Paul mentions at the end of his
1: epistle. Going back to a program a couple of days ago when we first looked at this matter in some detail, when we take these verses from chapter 3 of Colossians and add them to the verses on the new man in Ephesians, chapter 2 and chapter 4, in Ephesians, Paul even said that God created the new man out of two peoples, the Greeks and the Jews, which really those in those two categories, all of the peoples of the earth fall. So really, the new man is this composition, this corporate composition where all of these differences, ethnic, racial, cultural, social, are all... Blended away in Christ. Bob, I think we'll see this in the coming portion particularly as well, but there's a longing in mankind generally for this kind of oneness, isn't there?
2: I believe there is, Chris. You just feel within you that these distinctions of race, nationality, social status, they're all very artificial, and they actually go against a real deep desire within us to have the real oneness, the real blending among the different peoples on the earth. But where can you find this in reality? Well, according to the Colossians, you can find it in the new man. This is where you find the blending of the races, the blending that takes place in Christ and through the cross of Christ that terminates and brings to an end all the natural things that divide people, and then the dispensing of the rich Element of Christ into the believers to constitute them with Christ as the unique element, so that Christ becomes the unique constituting element, the unique person that is there in the new man, Christ becomes
1: everything in the new man, and Bob, I think for any of us who may be in our youth or perhaps throughout our whole lives have uh, sought such a uh, oh, what we uh, at one time which we used to consider a sort of utopian ideal. Really, for all men's effort, there's no way to achieve this kind of oneness apart from in Christ, where both the death of Christ and the life of Christ are operating.
2: You're absolutely right, Chris. I think uh, human history has borne this out. Let's go back to Witness Lee.
0: At the time of call between Rome and Colossae, the Colossi, there was a spacious region. This picture shows you that in such a space region with so many different peoples around the Mediterranean, there was a new man. A new man was there. In Paul's sensation, there was a new man. A new man constituted with Greek, Jew, circumcision, uncircumcision, barbarian, citizen, slave, freeman. A new man constituted with so many different peoples, yet the real constituent is not so many peoples, but one, that is Christ. You see, all the different peoples now, they are one new man. Between all these individual believers, there's no difference. Between all the churches, the church in Laodicea, the church in Colossae, no difference. I write to you this letter Colossians after reading you pass on to the church in Laodicea. And I wrote them there and asked them to pass on to you, and you read. It doesn't mean I write a letter to you, Colossians, and this is not for ladies. No. It is for you and for them. And I wrote them another letter, it is for them, also for you. Could you see the fellowship here, the oneness here, and the harmony, and the intimate traffic? You must pick up this kind of sensation. Then you read these leverages, You could say, my, this is a description, a very fine portrait of that new man. The new man that lived on this earth around Mediterranean. Not a small thing, you just consider. Even though the Roman Empire had taken over all the different peoples. The Roman Empire even used the, the Greek language to unify all the peoples. Actually, it didn't succeed. Still, the Jews are the Jews, the Greeks are the Greeks. No need to sleep between the peoples, between races, even between ranks. The slaves are slaves, and the masters are masters. But, hallelujah. Among so many differences, different races, different races, different nationalities, different peoples, among so many differences, I tell you, there was a new man. All the churches are just one new man. You read this portion of the word, you could see what was there in Paul's heart, the one new man. The one new man, not only one single local church, not only one single saint, the one new man. I say again, purposely he wrote all these names by selecting. For sure, by that time, the Apostle Paul should have known more saints. Do you believe among those in the room... Whom he knew, and among those in the Asian manner, whom he knew only this twelve or ten, it must be more than this. But he selected, he selected, he selected someone that can represent Greek. See, he selected someone that can represent Jews, and so forth. He selected, you see, to give us a full picture showing, what? showing the one
1: Bob, if we study at all the history of the Roman Empire, we know that Rome had the intent of being the great unifier of the entire world. It had absorbed so many peoples and cultures and languages and then tried to blend them into this one great world unity. But, of course, they couldn't do it. The differences there were just too great, too dynamic between peoples and cultures and all of these things. But in the one body of Christ that Paul saw, and presented to us as this one new man. There is the kind of oneness and expression that uh, all mankind longs for. To me, Bob, this is an aspect of the gospel that has not been adequately presented to the world by believers, but it's powerful in its potential, isn't it?
2: Yes, Chris. This is an aspect of the gospel. This aspect of the gospel that includes the reality of the one new man, that not only saves us as individuals. When people think about the gospel, they usually think about personal salvation. Right. But actually, this is more than personal salvation, because actually what God desires to obtain, according to the desire in his heart, is not just a group of individual saved people. God desires to obtain a corporate entity, one new man that expresses God in a corporate way. This one new man is inwardly filled with God's life, God's nature, God's attributes. And outwardly, it just expresses God. This one new man has an inward oneness and an outward oneness. It's one in life, one in constitution inwardly, and one in living outwardly. So that when you see any part of this new man, you just see one expression, and that is the expression of God in Christ. All the natural distinctions have been terminated and abolished by the cross of Christ. So, in order to have this reality, we need to experience the death of Christ, and we also need to experience Christ as the resurrection life. These are things that we cannot find in the world. For instance, today, Many people are talking about one world. The world is shrinking. The globe is shrinking. We have a global economy now. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have so much travel and so much, in a sense, mixing of the races, uh, so much migration around the world and so forth. It just seems that if we could unite all these peoples together, it would be a wonderful world that we live in, right? But there's just no possibility to have this kind of union in the natural realm, in the realm of the natural life. The distinctions remain and they just cannot be overcome. Even the United Nations cannot overcome them. So what can overcome the differences among the nations, the peoples of this world? Only God's complete salvation which produces not just a group of saved individuals but brings us into the reality of a new man. One new man which is just Christ himself dwelling in us all, living in us all, and living out of us all, and blending us all into one entity.
1: Bob, I think this uh, has been really uh, highlighted today as a sort of a capstone on uh, a few programs where we've touched this matter of the new man. I recall as we uh, got into it the other day, and perhaps it was you and I in an earlier fellowship this week, seeing that in uh, Ephesians, as you pointed out earlier, the differences between mankind, between peoples and cultures, were part of what was crucified and dealt with on the cross, elevating this nearly to the stature of sin and the sin problem in God's view and in God's heart in terms of accomplishing his eternal purpose. And yet, uh, throughout the ages, there have been many counterfeits to this oneness, and uh, people have chased after them, and of course, we believe near the end time that this again will draw people away, as there's a a kind of a false oneness that's created on the earth by the Antichrist. But the reality is that in Christ, on the cross, and in his divine life, dispensed and imparted, the living out of the life of the one new man is very much present. That's right, Chris. Chris.
2: Uh, The cross is necessary to terminate the distinctions. And then Christ himself as the life, the element, the person is needed to saturate and permeate our being so that we can be this one new
1: man. Hmm. Bob, from uh, what begins uh, at first glance is some simple verses. We've had quite a profound uh, time today, haven't we? We sure have, Chris. I appreciate your help as always. You can reach us toll-free, 1-888-LIFE-STUDY. That's 888-543-3788. Our mailing address, Living Stream Ministry, Post Office Box 2121, Anaheim, California, 92814. And our email address is radio at lsm.org. We'll continue on in the Life Study of Colossians tomorrow. Join us then for Bob Danker today. I'm Chris Weil. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you for listening to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee. These programs are based on messages Witness Lee gave when he did a comprehensive book by book study of the Bible, showing how Christ is life to man. Whether you're hearing these life studies via radio, Online or as a podcast, we hope you'll visit our website, lifestudy.com. There, you'll find more than 1,700 audio studies covering every book of the Bible. Again, that's lifestudy.com. Thanks again for listening.